Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, France Tapon. In this episode, I interview Patrick Martin Schroeder, is a guy who is an, a complete adventure and really an adventure. We throw that term a lot, but this guy has got a lot of balls. He has the courage to get on a bicycle and go all over the world. That's right. He's been to 150 countries, always by bicycle, just leaving out of his front door in Germany and just parading around the world. It's such an amazing story. We talk for nearly two hours because, of course, he's got so many stories. And, of course, we just scratch the surface. This podcast has been brought to you, and what we're promoting is Health Access Sumbawa. Thanks again to Kathy Kennedy Edgar, who is the Patreon supporter that I have that uh, has really done a lot. And also, I want to give a shout-out to my dear Renee Steelman of the Steelman Family Foundation. These are two ladies who are really helping produce these podcasts and producing some of the work that I do. So tune in, listen to Patrick. Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. I'm here with Patrick Martin Schroeder. How are you? Is I'm good. I'm good, Francis. <laughs> Patrick has is an adventure nut that makes me look like an idiot because this guy has been biking to more than 150 countries. Like, if he wants to go to India, he doesn't just, like, get up a plane and then rent a bike in India. You actually leave Germany, buy a bicycle, and get to India. Is that right? Yes. Um, it depends on the tour. Like, um, the three biggest tours I've started from Germany and did overland the entire distance. Okay, so let's go, let's take the big uh, overview from... Uh, those are the three big tours. Give us the general overview of each of the three tours. Well, the first one was my first big bike trip, and I started from Germany, and I went south. So I just cycled south, Alps, Italy, then the Balkans, down to the Middle East, Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Israel, and then went to Northern Africa, then crossed the okay. Sahara. Um, if you look at the map... Where, sorry, where did you cross the Sahara? Um you follow the Nile through Egypt and then go through Sudan, uh, the Nile Road. Uh, I know you know it. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was in construction when I did it, so it was partially unpaved and I had to follow some dried out rivers and whatnot. And it was going at night because it was colder. Um, so, yeah. Um, by, and then by I the way, I actually, I actually never did actually cross pro all the way from Egypt to Sudan. I went south you know, southern part of Egypt and the northern part of Sudan, but I actually didn't actually connect those two dots. Okay. But anyway, so you couldn't get go the, ahead. Um, the ferry at Wadi Halfa no, was a problem. No, it wasn't a ferry. It wasn't a problem. It just wasn't. I changed my plans and itinerary. Anyway, it okay. doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, okay. So then at, once you crossed into Sudan, yes. where did you go on your bicycle on that first trip? Um, I followed East Africa and Central Africa all the way down to Cape Agulhas, the southernmost point in South Africa. And then when you got to Cape Agulhas, uh, which what did you do at that point? Did you say, okay, God, it's a long way back home. I'm going to get on a boat or take a flight back home? No, I already had the flight booked from Cape Town. So I came a little bit prepared. Um, but okay. <laughs> the, the day getting to Agulhas was amazing. It was super windy. It was very tough getting there, but it was just an amazing feeling because I was 21 at the time and I just crossed the entire continent by bike and I was like, I did it. Like this you, was not just, you, you did one and a half continents, really. I mean, you did all of the African continent and you did part of Europe basically. Yes, but Europe is easy. 
hey, you know, don't say that too much because there's some guys who like that is their lifelong dream. And, you know, that just going biking across Europe, that's a lot. It's a big deal for many people. Yes. Um, but so, so, okay. So tell me then, what was your second big trip? Uh, the second big trip is uh, with one of my ex-girlfriends um, at the time. We planned together to go the Pan American Highway. So okay. we did. F- and, w- and at this point, you were not 21. You were how old at that point? 22. 20. Oh, just like the next year. Yes. <laughs> you don't waste any time. No. Not this, you know, recharge my batteries and that kind of shit. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go straight to Latin America. Yes. Um, between India and Africa was three weeks. The rest uh, after Africa and uh, South America, a couple of months. But generally, I spend about two, three months a year in Germany and then the rest traveling. For about 10 years straight oh my goodness okay 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 so hold on but okay i have so many questions that are going through my mind so one question at a time you went at start let's keep chronological here so at the age of 22 so you just came back from the southernmost part of africa you came back home to germany yes. you hung out there for a few months you met a girlfriend or maybe you already had one or where was she met. from the girlfriend what country germany cologne Okay, Close by. so you, when you went, when you left to go to South Africa on bicycle yes. from Cologne, you already had that girlfriend? No, afterwards, when I got back. Oh, so she's like, dude, you're a real stud. You've got some strong legs. I like a man with strong legs. I like you. And then all of a sudden you start dating. Uh, a little bit. I look like a scarecrow because of all the weight loss. But other than that, yes. Really? You lost a lot of weight? Really? While cycling through Africa, surprisingly, yes, if you do 10 hours of cardio a day. No, but I mean, you didn't start as a fat ass, did you? No, no, I was, um, I had a lot more muscles back then than now. Okay, so, no, but so in other words, what kind of physiological, I would imagine that when you were 21 years old, you weren't that fat. You weren't like, you were in shape, you didn't lose much weight, right? Let, let's go back chronologically a bit. Um, okay. When I was in school, I got up at five in the morning, went jogging, went swimming, then went to school. So after school, I went to the military for like a, a year, the service that we had in Germany. And I saved all my money. And then I did a one year around the world trip as a backpacker. So my idea was do this for one year, then go to university. So I did the basic regular backpacking like Europe by Euro Trail, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, North and Central America. And then I went back home. And this is when you were 20 years old or 19, something? yeah. 19. Okay, okay, got it. And okay, so this was your, that was really your first trip, not your first bike, yes. back, biking trip, but it was your first get out of Germany trip. Not really, but not your first. Anyway, get, go international like far 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 away it it was my first own holiday so to speak now now did your parents just never like let you out of the house what was the story there (laughs) um my mother was quite scared for the tour but um other than that but in other words like when you were a child did your parents not like say okay don't cross the street patrick there's a lot of dangerous people there and it's like all your entire life you spent in your home no, um, I did spend a lot of time indoors because I love to read and because I was a weird kid, but um, okay. my parents... But not because your parents were like telling you, no. Cologne, if you leave the outskirts of Cologne, you will die. No. 
no they, they didn't scar you scar you with such a terrible vision of the world no so it's this this desire to like nor did they actually take you on wild crazy trips either correct not wild crazy trips like general family holiday denmark let's go to the alps or yeah, flat yeah. places like denmark or whatever yes um and, and and so okay so they were pretty normal parents yeah okay um and then but for whatever reason at the age of 19 you said hey i want to go leave germany and go far 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 away i think i did that at the age of 16 17 i actually talked with my geography teacher about it and he helped me mm. plan the route for my first trip the the one that you went to southeast asia and all this other stuff yeah okay so 16 you're planning it and you executed it in when you were 19 yes with 18 i finished school then i had to do the one year military and then with 19 i left Got it. Okay, so you basically, we have to blame your entire life on your geography teacher. Yes, that would be okay. <laughs> Does your geography teacher know what you've done since you left your geography's class? Partially, yes. I've met him twice afterwards, but it's been a couple of years. He's okay, so but but he, so then, therefore, he knows of your first bite trick at least. Yes, and he gave you a high five. I hope. <laughs> yes, he was. Um, <laughs> He was still asking me when I go to South America because it was the last continent I hadn't been to at the time. Oh, really? So yes. he's just like, you're a fucking pussy, Patrick. You've, no. You haven't done South America. That's what he was telling you. He's just like, you're just such a wimp. Get out there. What are you still doing here in Germany? Get the fuck out of here. Go to South America and finish the continent. That was so wrong. <laughs> 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 no, no, he, no, no, he's retired and uh, he wanted to go there himself, but he feels like he's too old. So he wanted to ask what it is like. Okay, 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 okay. I love how I'm putting words in your geography teacher, geography teacher's mouth. Yes, yes. he would <laughs> okay, not so. be very impressed. <laughs> well, luckily, he's not going to be listening to this. <laughs> yes, I'll send him a speak, copy. He doesn't speak English, right? <laughs> uh, he does. And Latin. Unfortunately. Oh, my goodness. God. Okay, well. All right. So, sorry, geography teacher. I'm putting words in your mouth. Uh, what about, but, but Antarctica? Have you been to Antarctica? No. I could have gone, but only Because they have no bike roads, is that it? Um, I would like to cycle to the South Pole, and a handful of people have done it. Really? Yes. They've done yes. the bicycle to the South Pole? But there are, huh. like, different categories with, like, trikes and um, a wing... What? So you can get dragged by um, the wind a little bit or it's supported, unsupported. So there are still some new ideas there. Trikes, I imagine that as kind of like a tricycle? Yes. Okay. And But it, does it have wheels, tr the trike? Yes. Um, it's like a recumbent bicycle, but with three wheels. It's lower, okay. so you have so less wind resistance and you can't fall over. And you have a lot more okay. space for luggage. That's why they took it. Okay, so so it's kind of okay. Got it. And these must be very special, thick wheels or wide wheels or whatever. Ah, that's. And then some. And sometimes. And but in other words, are they actually using human power the entire way, or are they catching a sail? Uh, one guy did it with a sail. Another one had skis with him, and then it depends who you ask. So no purist who just did hundred percent on a bicycle as far as i'm aware no like a bicycle bicycle has two wheels a trike is something else 
but it was a human powered truck so yeah but she also okay. had a, a support vehicle with her who carried um like supplies supplies a doctor and so forth yeah 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 yeah. okay got it yeah so not a i mean nothing to not nothing to complain mm-hmm. about but uh not as you could step it up a notch yes if that's yes. what you want to do um to make it even more challenging yes um okay so we're still with your kind of general overview of what you've done because we're we still haven't even gotten past your first trip okay so we we just okay so at the age of 19 you did kind of a typical travel around the world kind of trip that many people do how many countries did you visit there some 25 countries or something yeah about 30 with the small ones in europe but i just passed through right and then you came back that was at 19 years old and then at the age of 21 you decided to take a bicycle down to south africa from germany and then the the age of 22 you you've got these sexy legs you attract a german girl in cologne in your hometown and then you say hey how about we go to south america uh to central america to what south part of south america uh, south all america. three actually okay. every country okay. so in you, south central north america so wait did you start in canada no in uh brazil okay brazil and then you went um all over south america yeah and then with her she was biking with you or did at some point did she give up yes <laughs> um we started biking <laughs> how, but she didn't how, like the how bike did i guess that part of the story <laughs> so she, i was just saying <laughs> a lot of people would give up <laughs> yeah um she sent her bike back home and traveled with public transport or hitchhiking and we met up along the way but then from panama on we split up and i went um to north america and she went uh she stayed a while did her dive master and then went to new zealand australia work and travel okay all right so um you in brazil you guys were biking around together in brazil yes and then she uh, how many countries of did you see all of latin america is all of south america together yes and then so she got to panama and then she said thanks i don't want to bike anymore uh, no, she sent the bike back home from colombia like earlier Oh, colombia sorry okay okay and then and, in and panama did, we split up okay so my favorite part of the americas is the darien gap because i've never been there mm-hmm. and everybody avoids it i assume you avoided it or or i don't know you had to like go around it or something like that or did you actually take your bicycle through there we hitchhiked from cartagena by boat to okay i think porto valdea mm-hmm. and but i will we'll go back soonish to the darien's gap because there's the highest mountain of panama is it yes i had no idea okay okay yeah because i mean there have been many people who i'm fascinated by the daring gavin i'm sure you are too right yeah i've seen a couple of reports talk to a few people who've been there yeah so tell us about what you've learned your reconnaissance here like for visiting the darian's gap yeah so for, let's, let's back up just so people who are listening to this and are wondering scratching their heads what is the daring gap the daring gap is a piece of land that goes um uh, that connects southern panama to i guess colombia is it yes yeah so that little section of there's a road that goes all the way from alaska all the way down to tierra del fuego all the way in south america but um that road there's a gap 
in the road, and that is called the Darien Gap, and it has been that way for the longest time. Forever, and yeah. So most, yeah, and so people uh, who like to go across the Americas always face that challenge, and ninety-nine percent of people bypass the gap. Yes, by going to Cartagena, and maybe one percent or less, maybe one in a thousand. Uh, actually decide to cross the gap. And very few people have done it. Apparently, it's a drug-infested place. But is it really? Um, from what I know is that the people didn't build the road to stop the drug trafficking a little bit. It's also a national park. There were FARC, the Colombian um, hmm. rebels, drug trafficking. And it's an indigenous area. So there's some tribal areas around there. So all of that makes it a little bit more difficult. But isn't it a lot safer now than it's ever been before? Yes. And the area where I would go, it would be entirely inside of Panama. So I don't have to illegally cross the border. So if I want to go from Panama City to the highest mountain in Panama, I don't really have to cross it. I have to go in it and out. And there isn't any issue there. Oh, so your intention is not to get to Colombia. My intention right now is mountaineering, like ticking off. Highest right. places per country. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so, but what in your research has you, have you discovered about the Daring Gap today regarding people who actually want to go completely across it from Panama all the way into Colombia? Uh, most of them took a local guide. Like there are some stretches on okay. rivers with canoes and... Um, you you need... can't walk the whole distance? I thought they, there's... You can walk, but you have to fjord rivers. Like, you can ask okay. Ed Shoot, the guy who walked the Amazon. He should be fine there. Yeah, really. No kidding. Um, okay, so... All right, so... I got, I got so much to talk about it. So let's see. Now, when your girlfriend stopped in Panama to go do her diving thing and to go off to New Zealand, at that point, you decided to go keep going el, to El Norte. <laughs> to to the Americas, to the North America. Yes. How far north did you go? Canada. Um, Canada, okay. I, it was the plan to go to North America anyway, so she changed her plan. I kept with mine. And Like a... <laughs> yes. Like a, like a like no dedicated quitter. man. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. So, and so, so why, why did she decide to quit? Was it just because you were biking too fast or was it because you didn't wear deodorant? What was uh, it? It was partially too much cycling, especially with the tropical climate and the mountains, the Andes. And um, we also split up at the time. So why should we keep traveling together? And she yeah, wanted to course. do some nicer, um, friendlier places than I was going to. So now she weighs 100 kilograms and she's over and done with. No, no she is a nutritionist <laughs> and personal trainer and she opened a couple of hostels in Sri Lanka and India. Okay, almost right. <laughs> yes, putting words in people's mouths, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, but I like my stories better than reality. <laughs> but I like my ex better than the way you describe her. Okay. Luckily, she's not listening to this either. Oh, she will. <laughs> okay. I'll send her a link. She's in Bavaria okay. as well right now. Okay. 
All right, sounds good. Uh, so she should have been on this podcast right now. <laughs> um, okay, you so can, then uh, seriously, you can do one with her because she travels six years around the world as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Of course. I mean, <laughs> Any, beginner. Just, just, just that trip alone, that first trip you guys took together is, is a long enough to cover us a podcast. Here we are. Just That's a tiny segment of your life. Should I um, um, so, offer you something? Should I just quickly sum up what I did and then you can pick something that's of interest to you? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's all of interest to me, but continue. Okay, yes, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So I did cycle the Pan American till San Diego and LA. And then I decided, oh, the flights from Alaska are very expensive and New York is much cheaper. So I did the Route 66 by bike and then went into the Great Lakes and um, uh, Franco, Canada, and then down the east coast of the States to New York. And that was this big trip that took one and a half years in total. And after that, I continued cycling a bit in Europe, Scandinavia, Eastern Europe. And then I realized that I had traveled five years with the summer. So Northern Hemisphere summer, then autumn in the equator, and then the winter in the Southern Hemisphere, of course, in their summer. So I had next to no snow. So I wanted to do something in winter. So I did go to uh, Ukraine my bike in winter as a test run to go to Chernobyl and everything. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to like this. Let's get some winter gear. And the year after I did the Trans-Siberian, like partially by train and partially by bike, cycled over Lake Baikal while it was frozen, oh, Gobi right. Desert, yeah, yeah. China, and then went all the way Korea, Japan, Taiwan. And then from China, I cycled the Silk Road through Central Asia back to Europe. Got, and that was all one continuous trip. Yes. That was your second big trip, you would call it, correct? That will, would be the third one. Africa was one year. Uh, America was one and a oh, half. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's your third. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. It's your third. Yes, sorry. Third big bike trip. And there was the one year around the world before that. Um, then I did a couple of trips in Africa. I did West Africa, like um, Paris-Dakar and Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, but then Ebola broke out and they closed the land border to Cote d'Ivoire, to the Ivory Coast, so, so I had so, to turn around. Oh, this was 2014? Yes. Yeah. I had a very good timing. I went to the Ukraine when the protests happened and <laughs> Kiev burned down, and I went to Africa <laughs> when Ebola broke out. Um, yes. Then and, I did... And, and, and I, I, be, I, I was right... I was in Ukraine right before those things. And I was in the Ebola region six months before it broke out. So I was just like, <laughs> just a few months ahead of you. <laughs> that was all you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I am part of the CIA. I started all these problems. Oh yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> exactly. So thank you, Francis. <laughs> sure. For ruining your vacation. <laughs> yes. If you could call it a vacation. <laughs> exactly. So then um, I did a, another trip with a bamboo bike in West Africa, like 5,000 kilometers um, from Ghana. A, a bamboo bike. So a, a bike made out of bamboo. Yes. Okay. So the, where did you purchase or acquire this bike out of bamboo? It was given to me by Maibu, a German company that sells those in Germany, but the frames are handmade in Ghana. So I did visit the manufactory and then cycle a big 5,000 K loop around West Africa from Ghana to Ghana. So wait, so what you're telling to me is that you went to Ghana, by visit airplane. the factory. 
By airplane, right? And then you stole one of the bikes and then left. No, I actually flew. <laughs> this is ridiculous. They're making the frames in Africa, but I got the bike in Germany and I flew the bike from Germany down there. Oh, that's so fucking stupid. Come on, yes. really? Yes, because they Why built the, the bikes in Germany, but they assembled only the frames in Africa. Okay, but but sorry, the, when you say build the bikes in Germany, but but the final final product is coming out of the where where it's rideable is where in Germany, Ghana? Germany. Oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. So to get the final final product, you have to go to Germany. Got yes, it. I understand. Okay. Um, what else did I do? Some so okay, so then so then you went to to Ghana with this bamboo bicycle. I imagine, I can't even imagine what a bamboo bicycle looks like. I guess it just looks like out of wood, except the fact that there's gotta be the the chain metal thing, right? That has to be metal, right? Yes, like the okay. handlebar and the fork, they were carbon and the rest was bamboo. And then the right. wheels are regular wheels, seat is, is regular Is it super seat. lightweight? Is it super lightweight? It's the opposite. Oh, okay. I Got mean, it. I know right. bamboo is like, oh my God, it's so light. But compared right, to right, modern right. carbon fiber frames. Carbon fiber, yeah, like, of course. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, because otherwise Lance Armstrong would be using bamboo. Yes. So yeah, it's the heaviest okay. bike I own. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you still have it? Yes. I, I How still many bikes do you have? Five at the moment. Wow. Which is like wow. half of them. Wow. Wow. Okay. So and, and, and along the way, you never got your bike stolen? I did. Okay, good. It's a wonderful story. <laughs> Go um, for it. Uh, 20 year old me starts towards Africa. First day rain, third day rain, uh, second day also rain, fourth day bike got stolen in Frankfurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll teach you to get out of the house. <laughs> yes. Like, I and should wait until sunny weather. No, um, and that's when you <laughs> the insurance maybe will pay 500 euros for it, which was nowhere near its price. So what I did was oh. I buy a used bike for 100 bucks at the next corner. I kept going with like a really, really crappy bike till <laughs> Israel. And in Israel, I stayed with the owner of a bike shop, like the big last big bike shop before Africa in Elat. And with him together, I built another bike custom made for Africa and I bought it for 400 euros. So I, I invested the 500 euros well. And the funny thing is the, the pedals I have on my bike right now, they are more expensive than the bicycle I rode through Africa. <laughs> it's, it's a big change in uh, quality over the years. Wow. Amazing. Um, so you got the bike stolen yes. in frankfurt yes now what how did that happen because it was a fucking expensive bike so why would did you just like park it somewhere overnight and somebody came in and stole it how, how did they actually steal it uh i went to the um museum there was a caravaggio exhibition and i locked the bike outside and then when i came out it was gone then, so this was during the daytime yes huh and, and I met, but I imagine you had like some really kick-ass lock, no? Uh, it was a good lock. I don't know how it happened. Huh. Wow. They must have liked the bike. And <laughs> <laughs> there was a video camera right on it from the museum security. So I went to them. They're like, hey, you recorded it. They're like, no, we just film it. We don't record. 
Come on, guys. So. Very useful. <laughs> I'm then, sure they fixed that by now. No, and then, no, no, it's just so that the security can see multiple places at once, but they don't record what actually happens. Right. And then I went to the police and it's like, hey, my bicycle was stolen. They're like, yeah, whatever. We don't care. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I was going to ride really to Africa. <laughs> exactly. And it was a really expensive bicycle. Yes. <laughs> and they said, here's some bamboo. Just make yourself a fucking bike. Yes. Take, take a unicycle. <laughs> exactly. Next time, nobody will steal that, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, so they, they sold you, just go to Israel and buy a bike there. <laughs> They're cheaper. Oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> so you took their advice. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and so now bring us a little bit up to speed. In the last few years, you've kind of changed your focus into saying, okay, because you've visited over 150 countries and you realize biking to Vanuatu and to Hawaii is not very efficient. Yes, uh, I mean something like that. Like about you, how many? How many like proper countries do you have like that are attached to big continents that are still left I that are not island nations? Fifteen, I think. Fifteen. Okay, and where are they mostly in Africa or Asia? There is Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq in Asia. And the rest is Africa. Got it. And, in the, and the Africa ones, are they in West, West Africa? West Africa and yeah. Algeria and Libya. Because after the Arab Spring, it became a little bit harder to do uh, a Libyan visa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I, was, I tried multiple times to get that Libyan visa when I was in Africa. And each time was, they discouraged me. There's a way you can do it. You, you have to go there on a business thing and blah, blah, blah. And I was just yeah, like- Yeah, 300 you know, euro business visa. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I was just like, you know what? I don't really need to push myself through this situation and take a bus across Libya, mm -hmm. the northern, northern part of Libya. Cause I was just like, there's checkpoints. There's a lot of checkpoints. It's a big country. So I just, I'm just going to be frustrated there. So I decided to screw it because I'd already climbed the tallest mountain in Libya, which is near the Chad border. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So you crossed really the border illegally. Correct. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing, there's no <laughs> checkpoint there. It's zero. I mean, yeah. it's open Sahara. It's deep desert Sahara. Yes. Um, so even if I wanted to present my passport to somebody, I couldn't, <laughs> there's just nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least not that I know of, I, I'd be a man. I would, huh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't think there is. Um, okay. So, so there's 15 countries that are connected to big things. And then, and then uh, how and then the rest are these island nations. Yeah. I, I think imagine. about 30, 35 ish island nations. Okay. Yes. So, so instead of staying on track to complete what I imagine is one of your dreams, which is to visit those remaining countries. Yes. You've kind of changed your focus a bit. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I kind of settled down a little bit. Um, when I was 29 and 30, I thought, hey, I'm getting old. I'm having my midlife crisis now. I settled down in Germany. And it's because you will die at 60. Um, 45, mid I think. Mid Okay, 45. Sorry, okay, so sorry. you're late for your midlife crisis is 30 already. It's oh, a, oh, more yeah. than halfway through. <laughs> True, that was very little of you. Well done. Um, <laughs> exactly. I'm good at math. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I 
tried out different types of sports like uh, rafting, like long distance hiking, paragliding, mountaineering, and hmm. I tried to find like a new goal, a new hobby to keep me entertained. And right. I quite like the mountaineering. And then hmm. I tested it a little bit in the Alps, at the Zugspitze and the Mont Blanc. And I thought, hey, I'm going to do a big, big project with the mountains because I'm used to big projects. And then I started looking into it, and it's all either winter ascent of K2 for $100,000, and I neither have the skill nor the sponsors nor the money for that. And I looked into the seven summits, and while doing that, I realized no one had ever climbed the highest mountain in every country. Correct. And I'm, right. I do have a little bit of experience with going to every country, so I thought sure. you could combine that. You know, yes. start over from scratch again, go to every country again. Yes. Yes. It would be definitely uh, okay. So that this is, is this like official or you're like just still in the toying around stage with this idea? Cause it's a big fucking project. There's this one guy called Ginge. I don't know if you know, have you ever heard of him? Mm. G I N G E. Anyway, he's got a similar goal as that, as climbing the tallest mountain of every country. However, he's much older. How old are you right now? 32 right so he's twice your age and so i and i i don't think he's done much of the himalayas which is really the big caboodle there that's the that's the tough tough part well actually i don't know if it's the tough tough part but it's definitely yes and no. one of the biggest yeah exactly i researched it's, all it, the mountains i can definitely tell you which ones are the tough ones <laughs> yes so uh tell me the top five that are on your list i obviously k2 has got to be up there yes and then and, the highest and, one of india kanchenchunga Mm, okay then um apart from the height and is is is, is the kachinchunga one i don't think is it over eight thousand meters is yes it? No. yes it is is it is it okay. yes okay really kachinchunga and you know I've, I've seen it written but i've never actually heard it pronounced and so um but i don't remember it being that because I've read some books about the 8,000 meter peaks, the 14 peaks over 8,000 yes. meters. Hey, your buddy, uh, Reinhold Messner, he's, he was the first guy to do it. My buddy? He's not German. <laughs> you know that. I know he's Trollian, but he speaks German kind yes, of, yes. like a shitty version of German or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Reinhold Messner. Um, he's the such a weird guy. Ever live. So weird. You know, he, 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 have you met him? Uh, no, but I've been to all of his museums. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So for those, uh, Rejoice and I actually got to meet him in mm -hmm. all places in fucking Rwanda. I think I we, saw that. Okay, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I wasn't sure if you had seen that. So yeah, so I'm here I am. We're going to go climb the tallest mountain of Rwanda, which is about 4,500 meters, something like that which is about 15,000 feet or more. Anyway, so we were going to we we're planning to do that and as usual we're getting a late start and we we're going to do it as a day trip. Yeah. Oh. And we were sitting around there at like 8 or 9 a.m. and we still hadn't left. I'm like this is really fucking stupid. But anyway, as we're dicking around and waiting around, there's a crowd of people kind of just like mingling around and I look over and I recognize Reinhold Messner. Like the big His hair big, and shaggy beard, yeah. Big hair, shaggy beard, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, he hasn't changed that much, the dude, yeah. from like when he was 30. Uh, he's just gotten a few more gray hairs. And I recognize him pretty much instantly. And then 
And I go right up to him and I, because nobody was really talking to him. He was just kind of wandering around just aimlessly like a disoriented old man. And I said to him, excuse me, are you Reinhold Messner? And he's like, <laughs> like what <laughs> was that an answer <laughs> he didn't really give me a clear answer but kind of like he kind of nodded sort of and just grumbled and walked away and then uh wait and i it? told Re and yeah yeah and so then uh i told rejoice uh who's my wife i said hey that's reinhold mester and i told her a little and she's like who the fuck is that guy and so i tell him a little bit about who reinhold mester is and then she says, okay, great. I'm going to go get a selfie with him. <laughs> so she goes and runs up and she says, hi, excuse me, but can I take a picture with you? And she's I'm like, your biggest like, fan. Okay. <laughs> exactly right. mm -hmm. and, then, and then he actually lets her take a selfie. And here's the best part, Patrick. He smiles in the photo. Yes, of course. I'm like, what the hell? He actually smiled. He actually looked like he's having a good time for once in his life. It's amazing. So... Uh, yeah, and that was my little Reinhold Messner story. But anyway, I love the guy to death. I admire him greatly. Um, the guy is a phenomenal uh, adventurer. Do you know um, anybody who did? Go ahead. Sorry, do you know about the uh, Sherpa who's right now climbing the 14 highest mountains? He's doing it in one season, like in half a year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, is It's just a regular Sherpa uh from nepal i take it who's just already had a ton of experience i imagine yes but i mean he's still pretty hardcore and um yeah obviously project. you have to be he is almost yeah. done now like a couple days ago he summited k2 yeah yeah it's it's you know it's just a matter of all t uh, just a matter of time for all these peaks to be done in a variety of ways you know i'm just still waiting for somebody and maybe it's already been done but i don't think it has for all the fourteen thousand. sorry 8,000 meter peaks that are over the 14, 8,000 meter peaks. God, I can't speak English. Uh, maybe he was speaking German. Um, <laughs> maybe okay, not. Okay, alles klar. Machen wir. Ja, ja. gut. Um, okay, so um, those 14, 8,000 meter peaks that, uh, that, uh, that they could be done in winter. Oh, all of them. Uh, yeah, difficult. Dude, that should be. No fucking way. Of course, dude. That would be really fucking hard. I mean, if 8, you want a challenge to Olympus Mons, like ask Elon Musk if he has a little bit of space in one of his shuttles. And yeah, no kidding. Like a 21 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kilometer high mountain. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so those who, who didn't catch the reference, Olympus Mons is the tallest mountain in the solar system. That's true. Yeah. And it's sitting there in Mars. I um, it. Sorry, I mean, we do have to go to the astrophysics at some point, right? Oh, right. This is your other uh, <laughs> part of your life. <laughs> um, we were going to talk about uh, nuclear physics, I told him. Yes. Um, <clears throat> plasma physics. Here we go. So, okay, so, uh, God, we got sidetracked. Okay, so you've changed your, your objective. But uh, now, obviously the two goals of the mountaineering goal patrick yes. and the other goal of just finishing visiting all these countries or maybe potentially biking through some of them mm -hmm. they're not mutually exclusive that's correct so how are you looking down the pipe how are you deciding because it would seems to me the most efficient thing is to then go to afghanistan and climb the tallest peak of afghanistan which by the way must be a really hard peak yes it is 
Um, yeah. So the idea was, okay, I'm going to try this out. And I spent one year training and reading up on it and testing it. That went well. And then I invested one year already going around Europe, climbing uh, 35 now, uh, the highest mountains of 35 countries. And once I've done Europe, I have a little bit of a portfolio for sponsors for a company so that I could approach someone and say, hey, this is the project I have. I'm not a total beginner. Would you like to work with me on this? And then repeat it for another continent. Obviously, it would make a lot of sense to do the all the island states that I've been missing so far. On the other hand, the islands don't really have that high mountains. So if I... Right. If I tell a sponsor, yeah, I'm going to go mountaineering with your money and then climb on the five-meter high hill on Vinue and, <laughs> you know. But there is one tallest peak. Again, I got to look this up. Maybe I'm going to... I'll geek out for a second. But the first this point from the equator, uh, from the Earth's core? No, no. There is a, uh, there's a um, mountain in... Somewhere in the in in the Pacific, yes, that is a tallest mountain of some country that had, I think, never been climbed. I could be wrong about that. Yes, um, the um, only highest mountain of a country that hasn't been climbed is in Bhutan because it's illegal. Okay. Um, All the others huh. are fine. They're good. Okay. Okay. So. So nobody in history has climbed this thing? No. Really? Huh. Really? Yeah. Nobody has, nobody's climbed in Bhutan? Yeah. It's illegal. Really? So it's, it's kind of like Everest was back in, like as far as Tibet. Tibet was closed off to foreigners. Well, I'm sure you're aware that the Bhutan... Um, Visa applications are like $200 a day, right? Yeah, I didn't know exactly that price, but yeah, it doesn't Okay, it doesn't so the me. country is very much against masterism, and they want very regulated, right. short-term, small yes. groups, and they uh, outlawed mountaineering in its entirety, not just on that mountain, but everywhere. Got it. They got it. don't okay. want dead Western tourists like in Nepal, littering the countryside got it okay i understand okay so ginge by the way that guy i just pulled up his wikipedia page patrick and he has according to his wikipedia page has claims to have climbed 168 country high points so quite mm -hmm. a few he's this, this this is the guy who's twice your age okay um i only know about morgan I'm, everett like the priest from australia who's done a similar amount of mountains okay um, so this guy and, and the tallest peak of Bangladesh, how is that one? Have you, do you remember? Um, Bangladesh really. that was yeah. very close to the Burmese border and it was kind of unknown till a couple of years ago when someone climbed it. Okay. Like there yeah. was a Westerner who discovered it that I know and he has been okay. on the summit. I don't know okay, if it's so the, the same guy. Okay, yeah, he's a British guy, this Ginge guy. Uh, he's written G-I-N... G-I-N-G-E. Okay. Yeah. 
So the only reason I know about him is that he had gone to uh, Africa to climb the tallest peaks. And so he was the first person to document clearly how the the peak to go up um the oh. one on libya the tallest mountain of libya yeah i know him i am um, yeah i didn't recognize because ginj is like his middle name it's his nickname really it's not his his real name is um Eamon follow yeah edmund edmund yeah edmund or whatever fuller yes, yeah, yeah i know him, about him sorry yeah okay I okay. Do. okay okay yeah, so he, he and Ginja is just his nickname. It's not even I don't think it's even his legal name. Okay. Um but there's a story and there's a mountain that he climbed somewhere in the Pacific, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, that took him and his crew. And he wasn't even the lead guy. I think there was another leader in this thing. Um it's a really good article. I can't remember where I read about it. But it's a really hard, hard, hard mountain. It just doesn't make any sense to me because it's not like, I don't think it's even above 4,000 meters. And I think it's like 3,000 something. And it's somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, um, if I remember correctly. Anyway, you should research it. And apparently it just took so long to climb this really silly peak. And there was like three peaks and they had to go to or two or three summits that they didn't know which one is the true summit. So they had to go to both of them. And the guy who was actually leading the expedition mm-hmm. in the end didn't, I think he either got injured or he just gave out on exhaustion and did not go to the actual summit in the end. That's the sad story behind that mountain. But anyway, since I know you're doing a lot of research on this, that one is one of the more fascinating ones because it is a, but again, I could be wrong that it may not be the highest peak of a country. Maybe it's just a, an unclimbed peak or something like that. And you're sure it's over 3,000 meters? No, I'm not. No, <laughs> no, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. It could be just 2,000 or something like that. But, but, it, uh, but I think, yeah, it could just be 2,000. I can't remember how tall it was. But I just couldn't believe that it was like some relatively small mountain mm-hmm. and that it would take weeks, weeks to climb. I was like, really? Are you kidding me? And you can see it from the pictures, you know, like the Pacific Ocean surrounding it or the water surrounding it. I just don't. Anyway. A lot of bushwhacking. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. It's bushwhacking and it's, it's, it's quite steep in certain sections. So you have to like do ropes and it's muddy and slippery and it's just a slog. Um, so, but still, despite all that, I just still don't understand why it should take so long. But obviously I wasn't there. So what do I know? Yeah. Um, you can Google uh, okay. Sao Tome and Principe. They have um, like a rock needle. It's luckily not the highest one, but this rock needle has only been climbed like twice. It's oh, so I horrible. Know, I, uh, yes, yes, yes. It's that's the. It's only six hundred meters or something like that. Six hundred fifty meters. Yeah. And apparently very dangerous due to snakes that live in the it, rock. Ah, interesting. I didn't know about that part. I did know that it was kind of a very crumbly kind of rock. Yeah, well, and apparently full of wildlife that doesn't like people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So there you go. Don't climb it. Yeah, and and there are so many, like, of of, of peaks. Everybody gets impressed by Mount Everest, but there are so many other mountains that are harder than Everest to climb. Yes. Um, uh, So, okay, so getting back to Afghanistan. So the tallest mountain of Afghanistan is what? Um, I would have or, to look that okay, up. You don't have to look it up. But anyway, you just know that it's a difficult mountain. Yeah, the Noshuk. It's like seven and a half thousand 
So, okay. Yeah, that's that's got to be hard. And it's and then of course the 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 big challenge for so many of these mountains is just logistics of getting the permits, you know, I imagine Saudi Arabia is not too easy to give you a permit, although apparently they're opening up tourism a little yes, bit. Yes, also the mountains very easy. It's like a, a 2 kilometer hike from the road for oh, Saudi great. Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, so so th- that's a perfect example of something I ran into a lot in Africa. You know, the mountain itself is super climbable, easy kind of like just a walk up a hill takes you a few hours and yet getting to the base, convincing the village chief, uh, getting the permit, getting the visa, getting the whatever. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the true nightmare. And then when you're finally there, you're like, okay, up and down. Goodbye. Yes. You know, I'm familiar with that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But something that you probably never had to deal with when you were at least doing the European ones. Uh, no, in Europe, I only need one visa for Belarus. Right. Well, how is that mountain, by the way? Uh, it's a 400-meter-high hill in a village. Okay. Where <laughs> is it? Near the Polish border? It's about 150 k's from Vilnius, from okay. Lithuania. Okay, from Lithuania. Okay, yeah. Um, and what did you learn from... Okay, so Europe, I think, has some 45 countries, depending on how do you define Europe. Yes, um, so which ones are the ones that are remaining? You said you did about 35 or so. Yes, um, I do still have um, Denmark, Finland, Norway, Sweden, and Belarus, like the north, and okay. two in the Alps, Switzerland and Austria, the highest points. I'm here right now mm. for them, but the weather is quite crappy, so I can't. Mm. Oh, that's why you're there. Okay. Yes, and then, um, what was it, Cyprus? And the Azores, because they have the highest mountain of Portugal. Okay. That's it. it. Oh, the Azuri Mountains, the tallest mountain. Of, oh, I get it. And how do you deal with, let's say, like Greenland, for example? I don't know if Denmark, because Denmark doesn't really have much of a mountain, I imagine. But but Greenland is part of Denmark, right? Yes. Officially? Um, that's so, again... So is, is uh, that their tallest peak? Where is their tallest peak of Denmark? Do you the know? The tallest peak of Denmark is the Malayoch near Aarhus. It's 170 meters. Um, that's in Denmark? That's in Europe? Yes, that's in Denmark proper. If you count um, Greenland as well, it's Gunbjörnsfjeld, which is the highest mountain in the Arctic. It's uh, okay. in the middle of nowhere. Um, you can do an expedition with RMI expeditions for only $21,000. Oh, that's cheap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe that's your way of making uh, if you don't get enough sponsors then what you should do is just have an expedition <laughs> in other words say I guide other people just, yeah exactly right I'll charge you $21,000 to come up with me up this peak that I've never been up <laughs> okay uh, you would do that I can guide you <laughs> okay great <laughs> I'm signing up right now where do I transfer the money uh, um, so t- but 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 why not? Um, but but shouldn't Denmark's mountain be considered Greenland to be technical about this stuff? If you want to be technical, Greenland is not Denmark. It's, it's just governed by, but it's independent. It's like right. um, Jersey and Guernsey and the Isle but, of Man and Gibraltar. Right, but it's but. So wait, are, so okay. Let me ask you a different question. Are you going to be climbing that tallest peak of? Greenland or I hope so. that okay okay so you would consider that it's separate country if you will I do usually go by the United definition. Nations 
and right, but to Greenland's, them, Greenland's not, part not on there. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So therefore, if you're going to go by the United Nations, then you've got to consider Greenland's tallest peak as Denmark's tallest peak. You could. If I had the option, <laughs> I would do both. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, for example, in the case of the Netherlands, they have the 300-meter-high hill in the Netherlands, and they have a volcano in the Caribbean on one of their islands on Zaba. And I definitely mm. want to do both. Um, right. The same for Portugal and Spain. Because the Canaries, for example, have the highest mountain of Spain, but technically they are African islands. So, right, right. Just to be yeah, sure, there's, there's, I do those, exactly. I had the same dilemma when I was climbing the tallest mountains of Africa. I was in trying to figure out which is the tallest mountain of Egypt, and the simple answer is the Mount Catherine, yes. which is in, right in the Sinai. But then the Sinai Peninsula is in Asia. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, but then technically I got to climb the tallest mountain of every African country. It's still uh, right, yeah. It is right, but but just to be safe, what I did is I went to find, figure out what's the tallest mountain of Egypt in mainland Africa, yes. in the continent of Which, Africa. What is it? And it's it's this, uh, I can't remember the name of, the, uh, of it, but it's near uh, the east coast near kind of like the 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 red sea-ish um like and Nueva? yeah near the red sea. i can't remember the t the towns um but there's gardaya what the hell is this place called I can't, no that's 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 algeria anyway i don't remember the name um it's a 2000 meter mountain mm -hmm. but pretty it's it's kind of challenging i mean certainly a lot harder than mount catherine which is i think three thousand something meters which has a hiking um, trail yeah i've been up there yeah exactly so it's pretty mount catherine is just a walk but the uh the one in egypt in the mainland africa was there was there was one funny section there's no real official trail at all so you just kind of figure it out and the hap the way we happen to take on the way up, there was a place that we had to squeeze in, and my guide was a bit, just a bit bigger than me, mm -hmm. slightly. And he couldn't squeeze through this place where you had to squeeze through. He eventually, it took him like 15 minutes where he finally did. He didn't even come to the summit. He was just like exhausted. He was just oh. like, screw this. He'd never done it. Um, he'd never been on that mountain himself. But, but he I was your guide. Be fun. Yeah, great. Of course, yeah. No, that happens all the time. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but no, but it, he, he was important in the sense that a for safety reasons in case i twisted my ankle up there but also the fact that i just you need to take a car to get to the base mm -hmm. you don't need to take a car but you're you're going to uh you're going to spend a lot of time trekking through the desert uh, with a lot of water if you don't take a car to get to the base yes <clears throat> but getting to the base of the mountains here has been more difficult than getting up the mountains because i still cycle most of the way <laughs> really yes i did most of the trip here in europe as well by bike and i wrecked up so many altitude meters by bike it's of ridiculous of course of course i mean the one advantage i suppose patrick is that you you stay in shape that's the good news <laughs> yes no i'm it's like it, but seriously there's a problem when you when you go on these eight thousand meter peaks not that i've ever done one but that people just lounge around for weeks as they're acclimatizing and that kind of stuff. And your muscles get soft mm -hmm. and you, you just like, and, and, or people who just like, you know, you have to stay in shape. So, I mean, that's one good, one good benefit of doing it, but yeah. Uh, but I imagine for, 
how are you going to deal with, okay, so where are you focusing next? Uh, in other words, do you want to finish off Europe or do you want to go off to Asia or Africa or are you just kind of scattershot? Well, right now I wanted to do the Alps, the two remaining ones here, but the weather is so bad that I think about going to Scandinavia next week. And but why don't you just stick around? The weather's not going to be bad forever. It's summertime right now as we're recording this. Because I have a limited time window and I'd rather go to Scandinavia and do something and then when I'm coming, coming back, the weather gets better. Um, also... After, but you're gonna bike up to Scandinavia. I'm gonna fly to Tromso and then bike down. Got it. And then, so when you go to Trump, which is Trump, northern Tromso, whatever it's called, yeah. yes, it's it's you're gonna take you're gonna rent a bike. Mm, I would take my bike with me. Oh, on the plane. Yes. Okay, got it. Okay, got it. I also have How a folding bike. Is, you oh, okay, but you wouldn't take the folding bike. Oh, uh, that would be mildly insane. So I might. But okay. uh, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> Mildly insane to I might, because that's exactly what I am. <laughs> I did do the highest mountain Slovenia and Liechtenstein with the folding bike. Patrick, 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 let me t tell you something. You're not mildly insane. You're completely fucking insane. Just just uh, between no. friends. <laughs> if, if I were, I would be dead by now. I'm well prepared for my trips. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, do you, but do you ever actually, when have you actually worried about your your safety life and that kind of stuff where you gotten kind of a bit too close for comfort because that's probably happened a few times. Well, usually I count three occurrences. Now I could make it four. So uh, I did get robbed at gunpoint in Lebanon by a, I assume, Syrian or Lebanese soldier. Um, dengue fever in Indonesia was great. Um, I do have a nifty scar from a crocodile bite from Mozambique. And... Um, I was so stupid, I decided to climb mountains. I do them a lot at night because then you get to the summit for sunrise. And the hardest one in Europe of the highest mountains is in um, Slovakia, the Gerlach. Gerlach Stit, I think it's called in their language. And um, it's only allowed if you're a member of the mountaineering club or with a guide. So I went at night without a guide, of course. There was no route, no markings, and it took eight hours to climb up there. And that was after I've already done 150 Ks by bike. And so I cycled all day. And then at 10 o'clock in the evening, I started climbing at six o'clock in the morning. I was back down. And that one was a bit sketchy. And if I would have known the difficulty, I would not have done it in the dark. Okay, but then how would have that made it any much easier as far as, I mean, since you still bike there and so you're pretty exhausted already just from the biking itself, you would have just like rested up the night? Um, the biking wasn't that problematic, but the route finding, like there was oh, okay. no Okay, so trail. you would have had the advantage of just being able to see what the hell you're doing. Yes, because I was right. following a GPS trail, but in the mountains it's like plus minus 10 meters. And yeah, um, sometimes I had just a vertical straight wall that I had to climb like free solo, right. no safety, and in the middle of the night just to get back to the GPS trail. Um, yeah, exactly. That was quite stupid. One time I accidentally climbed up to the ridge. So you climb, 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 and suddenly your hands go nowhere and you look over and there's just blackness as far as you can look because right. the, the light can't shine that far. It's like, oh, great. And it, it was <laughs> a razor-sharp ridge. ridge like this, so yeah. you couldn't walk over it. I could only climb down or I could climb on the other side down. And that were my two options. Ah, yeah, that wasn't so smart. 
<laughs> so uh, keep that in mind when you go to Afghanistan. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that, that climbing at night is a challenge. Um, and yeah, especially if you've never been up there before in your life, it's the, I mean, I do it's like it. I do it a lot, especially at the popular mountains because it's empty and then you have a beautiful yeah, scenery course. on the sunrise. And as soon as the first other guy comes up, you can say, okay, I'm done. And then you hike back down. Yeah, sure. Like yeah, you have been sure. on Mount Catherine, you know how many people are up there. Actually, when I went up there, there was not a single human being, the whole either up or down. And I just went in the middle of the day. So I don't know what it was that I was. I think it's because maybe Egypt is when I went which was just about a year or more ago. Um, it was, I think, 2017 or something like that. It was just not that popular. Okay. So maybe that was it. I had, I, I, sorry. Please no, continue. When, when did you go? When did you go? Uh, I did go there like uh, many, many years ago when I was 19. Um, okay, so that's why. Back then, were, Egypt was a popular destination. Yeah, but there were two groups from Sharm el-Sheikh with buses coming there. There were hundreds of people on the summit. It was ridiculous. Shamar Sheikh, that's, that's the, that's the, so when you take Shamar Sheikh, you, there's a ferry that goes across the Red Sea there. Mm -hmm. That's, that ferry takes you close, kind of close to the, that mountain I was talking about earlier in Egypt, the tallest one in Africa. To Hurghada. Anyway. Hurghada. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's Hurghada. That's right. Oh, Thank okay. you. Hurghada. And Hurghada from there, you have to drive another, I don't know, maybe 50 kilometers or something like that okay. uh, to get more inland. You have to, and then that gets you close to that mountain. See, my geography anyway, I, teacher taught me something. He certainly did. He taught you how to get your ass off and go explore. <laughs> he should be very proud of you, Patrick. Yeah. Um, um, so, but you don't keep in touch with him often. No, no, I don't. Not for years. Okay, yeah. Well, you should. You should. I mean, you know, to me, I think if you're a teacher, it's something proud that you all of a sudden, you know, you teach all these idiots and most of them go nowhere. And then finally you get like one person who actually listened to what the fuck you were saying, you know, and that's a satisfying feeling for a teacher. I just okay. think if they just know that they have one success story out of their, you know, dozens of hundreds of people that they teach and they really impacted their life in a major way. I think that one success story will make a teacher say that was all worth it. <laughs> all those stupid teenagers I had to deal with, all those assholes who didn't do their homework, that's worth it. There you go. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, yeah no, because um, he clearly influenced you in, in, in a major way. Yeah. So, more, uh, so than your, most of the, more so yeah. than even your parents did in some ways, in some respect, because your parents well, I don't didn't think seem the, to like... The geography teacher gave me the idea. I just came to him to ask him for help. Because he right. Like okay. The, Fair the enough. Person. So if he didn't exist, maybe. But but I think he he, he, he kind of pushed you along. I suppose. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe may. Obviously, you would have figured it out one way or another if he says, "Fuck, I don't know the capital of Turkey." Yes. <laughs> I bet you, <laughs> you do. would say, "Okay." <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, then, then you would have said, "Well, I'm going to get a better geography teacher. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go ask. I'm going to go somewhere else to get the answers." But um, anyway, so uh, so. You are, are there any inf hmm? big influences on your life, by the way? Um, any particular explorers, you know, maybe of the old days, people from, from that you admire in the 19th century or be, before that? Um, what was that? What about that guy, that dude that is a Muslim guy? He's a, what's his name? The guy who traveled a lot. I don't know. His, I can't remember his name. I know who Ibrahim, you mean. Um, Ibrahim Ibra something. 
anyway, he was a guy in like the heyday of Islam when when the Muslims ruled the world. He traveled through much of the Muslim world. Like uh, yeah, I know who you mean. Um, Ibn Battuta. Thank you. That's it. Ibn Battuta. Yes. Thank you, Google. <laughs> no, yes, true. Uh, I've been to the Ibn Battuta Mall in Dubai. That's kind of it's designed after his travels. Like every room is one of the countries he visited. Something like that. Yeah. So, so he's a he's a guy I admire. Um, and of course, some a lot of people say Marco Polo. But do you have any people that you kind of look as your? No, no, no really? I don't. Okay. Like um, people always tell me, like, oh yeah, you should read this and this book by this and this adventurer and cyclist and what not. And I was like, no, why? I'm I'm doing this myself. Like I don't yeah, need to sure, read sure. it. Yeah, no, you obviously have plenty of motivation. You don't need anybody to kick you in the pants to like get out there and go do something with your life. Okay. So a lot of people are listening to this at this point and I know everybody, I, I don't even like to, that's something I don't like to ask, ask this question, but I just know a lot of people will want to know the answer. Money. Thank you. So, yes, please go ahead. Give me your let's, money. Let's, um, no, um, exactly. Uh, I did save the money as a student because I was playing magic, the gathering which is a collectible card game, and I played it on tournaments. I know Magic. Yeah, I know. I, I yes. used to play Dungeons & Dragons. In fact, uh, occasionally, That's if I can, awesome. I can still play Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did sell my card collection, and I did save the money from the military service, and that was my first round-the-world trip. And then I decided to go camping and cycling because it's so much cheaper. Correct. Then there was a website that my ex-girlfriend, who was a web designer as well, made and we started asking for sponsorship so we got free equipment free bikes and so forth what website was this uh that was cycle nomads and later world bicyclist okay and um i occasionally do, do you still do you still use that website yeah till a few years ago till i started with the mountaineering because it's really about mountains and i can't put it on a website about cycling right um then odd jobs here and there. Um, I did have a free space in Germany where I could store my things, so I didn't have any costs there. Um, mm. Right now, your I've, five your five bicycles. Yes, and my hundred mm. kilos of outdoor equipment. Right. Um, I did do a bit of writing, uh, photography, programming. Right now, I'm hired by a Canadian company to work on a game called Dwarf Fortress which is coming to Steam at some point. Um, so I can do work from the laptop as I okay. see fit. And uh, for this winter, the bamboo company from Kiel, they work together with a book company. They want me to cycle from Kiel to Ghana, like from their sales spot to their manufacturing spot for um, um, 5,000 euros and free bike and equipment and a percentage of the book that will be about that tour. So, yeah, I made my hobby my profession. Right, right. And now are you at a point where you want to kind of make it more of your profession than before? Because it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm not, uh, maybe I wasn't being careful enough to follow you more closely, but it seems to me that most of the stuff you've done in your life, you've done it kind of like on your own, under the radar, not like doing a big social media campaign and that kind of stuff. Am I, is that fair to say? Yes. 
Um, okay. I'm not... How should I say this? Um, if you are in normal society and you talk about your one-year round-the-world trip and how you cycle through Siberia and wrestle with a crocodile, then it's bragging. It's nothing else but, you know, making yourself look great. And right. I'm not the biggest fan of that. And right. I'm, I don't use social media except for self-promotion in terms of sponsorships. So there is a sponsor right. and he says there must be something about the tour. So I do a little bit. But if you would look at my private Facebook account, you will see that there is no activity whatsoever. It's only right. Right. to right. keep in contact and, with people. Right. And this is what I've find a lot and i don't know what the ratio is and maybe you have a guess of what the ratio is to the kind of influencer narcissistic uh promoters kind of like me who just go out there and yell and scream and go hey look at me look at me look at me and how many of for every one of francis's that are out there how many more Patrick's or, you know, like there's a guy, I don't know if you heard that podcast. I interviewed a guy named Sim Blanchard. He was nope. a 65 year old adventurer. It actually was my most popular podcast of all most listens. Um, and he's this guy you would never like you, you shook your head. You're like, no, I don't never heard of Sim yeah. and nobody had ever heard of Sim really, but he's done so many crazy things, not as crazy as you, but still just he's lived such an adventurous, fun, interesting, fascinating life. And yet nobody's heard of him. And, and there's so and, and so obviously there's more people out there just quietly going around doing some crazy shit that nobody ever hears about. And then there's the Reinhold Messners and uh, yes. whatever, you know, other people who are just like have a loud horn and talk about all their crazy stuff. Uh, Ryan Holmesner. Okay, that's not a very good example uh, because he actually he really, did really good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. He really actually did. Like, okay, let's stuff. let's give an example. Um, just recently, when I was doing the highest point on Malta, I stayed in a hostel, and that person told me about, "Oh, yeah, you're traveling so much. Do you know Nas Daily?" I was like, "No." Who, oh yes, who's Nas, Nas Daily. Daily. That's right. Like I never heard I, of him, and then I had not heard of him either until uh, just less than a year ago, when finally said. Really? You're a traveler, Francis? Somebody sold to me, you're a traveler and you don't know Nas Daily? You consider yourself a traveler and you're like, you don't know Nas Daily? I was like, I've never heard of this guy. Yes. Come on, he's got millions of followers. I'm like, I had no idea who yeah, this Nas Daily is. But uh, the, the point is, the guy, what he did was very difficult, but because of the production value, like he did a video every day and he spent countless hours doing this. Yes. And um, I rather do countless hours doing the outdoor thing that I like to do and not to promote it. There is one example from Germany that I usually use. Um, there were these twins from Germany, the Hansa brothers. For their 30th birthday, they got together and cycled from Germany to Shanghai. And they made a book tour and um, talks, public speaking. And they became rather famous in Germany. And the tour lasted four months and the promoting went on for about two years and then they did another like 80 day around the world hitchhiking thing and then they promoted that for another one and a half years so to me the majority of what they do is they're entertainers they're authors but they're not right. travelers right yeah no that's it, it is and it is a dilemma that we all face now there's there's an extreme version like those two twins which spend more time promoting than they do actually traveling. Yeah. 
Uh, but we all face that kind of ratio balance of how much time do I want to spend. Now, if you have now a lot of money, then because obviously most people, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what the, the answer is. I think I probably the majority. Actually, I don't know if it's the majority. I really don't know. But a lot of people do the promotion stuff not because they're so into their ego and so fucking narcissistic that they need the the public adulation and public worship. They do it mainly for economic reasons. In other words, I just need to pay my fucking bills. I need to pay for my trips. Yes. You know, I, and so therefore it's just a utilitarian thing. I and therefore I need to speak up about this shit because otherwise uh, I can't, I can't do it. And then I'd rather, so I, the pain of doing promotion is l less than the pain of not doing my trip. Yes. I, I do understand this. Um, but usually this kind of promotion lets less money than working a normal regular job. I think at least in the first world. Correct. Yes, that is often the case. Um, but there are certain careers, it's changing now, but there are certain careers that don't give you enough flexibility. In other words, it's kind of like they, if they get frowned upon whether you're like changing jobs every, you know, changing companies every year. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So some, co some jobs, let's say like programming or consulting or that kind of stuff, it's okay that you work for three months or eight months and then leave and then do another gig. But certain things like say being a nurse or a doctor, maybe, I don't know, you, or a lawyer or something like that. You can earn a lot of money, but it's just not cool to like, okay, I'm a lawyer for a year and now I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You quit, <laughs> then you quit for real because then you're right. And, and same thing with like being an accountant. If you have clients, you're like, okay, I'm not going to do your accounting this year, but I'll do your taxes next year. <laughs> Because this year I'm going to Antarctica. <laughs> you know, that is so, expensive. So, I mean, right, right. So there, there's there's certain professions that are more open to allowing you to get this kind of income to let you go off and travel for so yes, more time. Yes, but all the travelers they can pick their profession. Like they are not accountants that start self-promoting and then traveling. Um, right. Right. Um, but some people, they get, they figure it out late in the game. In other words, some people, they, they need to go through a divorce and they need to go through, you know, raising their children. And all of a sudden they realize, okay, shit. But by then they've already established themselves as oh, a yeah, career. Yeah. Um, and they're like, okay, you know, in your case, you started off early and you realized early. But I think more often than not, people just get off their little trip. They go to Southeast Asia. They have their little fun. Mm -hmm. They do their round of the world. And then they have a real job and then they kind of get stuck. And then they get their second wind after their divorce or after they get retired or whatever they they do and that's when they all of a sudden they say okay now i'm going to go out there and travel again but by then they they they're in a different space in their life yes true. um it's it's difficult um but but i agree with you with one big thing that you said uh one of the things is is just this idea that in the first world countries or whatever you want to call it the rich high income countries mm -hmm. the best thing to do is to live cheaply and make a ton of money in a short amount of time yeah and it's you can and it's so re it's relatively easy to do um it's not that hard uh a lot of people say like oh yes it is but there's you can make like thirty thousand euros fifty thousand euros in a year and if you learn to if you have a way to live below your means you can save up ten thousand euros yeah 
I mean, I met a guy doing English teaching in Korea and Japan, and he can save 10,000 in a year. And he had no training as a teacher. Like anyone can go there and do a TEFL course, like teaching English and foreign languages, and then go there. Right, right. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely ways to do it. Um, so you're going to just keep going at this. So how, what percentage, like you're in your 30s now, mm -hmm. and what percentage of your 30s did you actually were focused on working versus traveling? Well, I only do work um, on projects that I enjoy. Sometimes they produce money, sometimes they don't. Um, mm -hmm. So right now it's about half-half. But I saved up money, so from now on, like three months ago, I started again with traveling. So it will be just traveling now. Like Europe, then Africa with the bike tour for the... Do you consider this work? If I say, yeah, I'm going to ride the bicycle for you from Kiel to Ghana and climb some mountains in Morocco and Sierra Leone on the way? Because that is what I would do for work and, and I would get paid for it. Oh, if you get your sponsorships, you mean? Yes. Right. Of course, you're right. Um, no, I think I define work as something that you do and you're not too thrilled about doing it. To me, that's work. Oh, yeah, I had 0% of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I would just say stuff that you're not like excited to do in the morning. To me, like I write books and that kind of stuff, but... I don't really consider it too much work just because it's like I enjoy writing. Yeah, yeah. That's so, how I enjoy the programming fun. for the video game. Yeah, yeah. Like what I don't enjoy is I don't enjoy looking for sponsors. I don't <laughs> enjoy um, having to, like, I, you know, like look for places to do public speaking or that kind of stuff. I, I, if somebody just calls me up and say, hey, Francis, can you come speak? I'm mm -hmm. like, great. And, and that's enjoy. I may not enjoy going to the location, maybe for some reason, you know, going to some airline or that doesn't feel comfortable, whatever. But once I'm giving the talk, giving the speech, I'm having a great time. Mm -hmm. So, but, but there's, but there's certain parts of the process in order to get to that speech or to get to those, uh, types of, um, activities that may not be so much fun. Um, but it sounds like you've tightly managed your life in a way that you don't waste a whole lot of your life doing things you don't enjoy. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, my idea is um, the worst case that happens to me is that I'm uneducated and jobless in Germany in a first world country with a good social net. So even the worst right. thing that can happen to me is still better than what most people have worldwide. Right. And... Um, I rather travel and do the crazy things now in my 20s and 30s than do it in my 60s and 70s or 80s when I'm retired and when other people usually do it here in Germany because you can't you're not that fit and young anymore. Right. Yeah, no, and you see a lot of the Germans doing it. They rent these like in Africa, you'll see them renting a, they have their own amazing vehicles like these RVs recreational vehicles yep. and they have them decked out with the refrigerator and the this and the that and they just drive from national park to national park and there's nothing wrong with that of course but they they're limited physically often from doing some of the things that they might like to do versus what you how 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 old would you like to live for if you had 
you know, like, is there a limit? Would you like to live a billion years? Till the heat death of the universe, yes. Thank you. Okay, okay. The heat death? I thought it was going to be a cold death of the universe. Yeah, but that's the name for it. Like, when all the heat dissipates. Oh, really? Yeah. And they call it the heat death, even though we're all going to yes. be frozen? Yes. That makes no sense. Because there will be no more heat. It's the death of the heat. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I understand the, the term. Okay, heat death. I, when I hear heat death, I mean dying of heat. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, but yeah, the anyway, death of heat. It yes, would okay, be yes. amazing to live forever, yeah. For live for a trillion years. Okay, well, yes, unfortunately, uh, we're probably not going to do that. Uh, not but, with that but, attitude. But we can try. <laughs> exactly. Um, but by the way, do you believe that there are other intelligent life out there? Like, uh, uh, sorry, techno technologically advanced civilizations out there. Sure. Um, I just always remember this one picture where they zoomed in with a, I think Hubble was it, on one little square, and it's like a billion galaxies in that one picture. And um, I mean, you know about the Fermi paradox and the Great Filter and everything about that. So yes, yeah, I do. there's probably some kind of reason why we never heard about them. But why shouldn't there be in trillions and trillions of stars? I read this book. It's an old book. It's called Rare Earth. And by the way, do you do much reading yes. or how do you get your information? Do, yes, how, I or, read. do you have a Kindle? Yes. Are you a Kindle guy? Okay. I, I do not yeah. have a Kindle at all. <laughs> okay he's Holding showing it. me a kindle right now <laughs> yes um, i love that thing so yeah so uh, what do you do you read uh what percentage of the stuff you read is fiction versus nonfiction? 99 fiction really 99 fiction <laughs> sounds wow, so I'm surprised like, no just because you know when you, you talk about so much your research your non-fiction uh your you know like fermi paradox or whatever and stuff like that you would think that you you would read. I, I'm the exact opposite. I'm the mirror image. I'm like 99% nonfiction. Okay. Well, I do yeah. read articles and like Wikipedia yeah. and online, but yeah, yeah. when it comes course, to books, right. it's mostly fiction. And do you read all like do you read science fiction or historical fiction or or what kind of fiction? It's mostly fantasy and sci-fi, like fantasy and sci-fi. Okay. Good. For me, it's any a, recommendations? Uh, a ton, but uh, I, that would kind of blow okay, up the like, podcast like what, a little bit. <laughs> just curious uh like uh, my my wife just was watching game of thrones i told her not to do it and of course she got addicted to it and so she had to see all eight seasons yes it's fantastic <laughs> uh, except for the end that was horrible she can watch the really? Witcher next i didn't ask her about the end because she just saw it yesterday oh, okay. the, the last episode so i didn't ask her like how how bad it was but anyway we're gonna, not going to do any spoilers here um okay and so so your plan right now is to get some more s sponsors and then uh, do this trip to visit all these tall peaks. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I'd, it's a bit unrealistic. So um, I do have the money saved to do the islands. Like I can do a year or two on my own without sponsors just to build up a portfolio. And let's say I aim for 100 now or 150 and this is something that I could realistically approach sponsors with and say, I can do this. Because if I go there now and tell them, yeah, my highest mountain has been an easy 6,000 in the Andes and I want to climb K2, they will not take me very seriously. And I also don't have a solution to climb mountains, let's say like in Bhutan where it's illegal or Yemen where there's a civil war. 
So I can't promise them I will time all of them. That would be a bit disingenuous right. to tell them, yeah, I will do this and then not do it. So yeah, right now. But but, but also you could. It comes down to the time frame. I mean, there's a, I think a low. It's highly likely that in the next ten years, Yemen will have a moment of peace. Yes, true. So as long as you you put the time frame, I have a ten year goal. For example, it is <laughs> of climbing all this. Yeah, exactly. No, it will take a probably ten years or more to climb all these. It's about peaks, 200 I mean. mountains, and um, I said if I take one mount, one week to climb one and one week to prepare it, uh, then it's two weeks, 400 weeks for 200 mountains. That's eight years with yeah. no breaks and no disease. Right, right, and, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a it's a big, big, big monumental project. Yes, um, that's what I like about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I share your, 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 your your interest in that it is it would be but uh, but of course i'm i i at this point well actually you never know nowadays there's people going up everest who are like 80 years old <laughs> so, but not on k2 know. yeah k2 that's anyway be, yeah, yeah but you one. have done all the ones in africa right no i haven't there's four con, con, four mountains i did not climb the four Right. Darfur is one of them. Yeah, yes. Sudan. Although I got to the base, I got to the base of Darfur. And they mountain. wouldn't let I you just, hike or something like this. No, I had at one point fifty military people with me, <laughs> just protecting me and rejoice. Okay. Eight, eight vehicles. One of the vehicles had rocket launchers. Cool. I was like, really? I think this is complete overkill. But anyway, at fifty military men escorting me throughout Darfur, west, central, east. Yeah. North, South, Darfur, everything. That was crazy. Okay. Um, the other, the other one is the other three is uh, Eritrea and Djibouti. Okay. How for come? Eritrea's, that's Eritrea's fault. Eritrea is just a kind of a hermit society, um, as you probably know. Yes. Um, and so I made the mistake. Well, when I was in Sudan, in the capital of Sudan, Khartoum, I told the Eritrean council mm -hmm. i said hey i, I want to go to Eritrea to climb the tallest mountain he said no problem just go to the ministry of tourism and tell them that that's what you want to do and they'll let you go i was like okay great that sounds easy so i went i just followed his orders i went to the ministry of tourism and i told them i want to climb the tallest mountain which was called i forgot you can probably tell me but anyway um it's about a three thousand meter mountain i think it is anyway and the ministry of tourism said sure just give us your passport and that's kind of stuff and we'll look into it like days went by and i said what's going on what's going on and they and they just basically stonewalled they didn't answer the question i even went to the talk to try to talk to the minister herself mm -hmm. twice and or maybe three times i called i went anyway i did everything in the end they blocked that so i said how about you let me go to the town that's near the tallest mountain you know yes, like yes. i just don't want to climb the tallest mountain and then they blocked that i said how about if i go to a completely like to masawa which is in the completely wrong direction which is the opposite direction no so i like is there any place in djibouti oh sorry eritrea that i can go to they're like really well you can keep applying but so and i had driven to the capital from sudan okay so i had to draw so i obviously had to get out <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so basically what you're telling me is the only place you're going to let me explore now is my way back to Sudan, taking the same route I took. And I'm like, <coughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, so that was a, my, my two weeks or maybe 10 days, I think I was in Eritrea, just going to the capital of Asmara and then just That's begging it. and begging and begging and then just getting turned down and now in retrospect i became very good friends with the people who worked in the ministry of tourism there some of them and they totally sympathized with me they just they said it's it's our leadership who doesn't want you to go and they said yeah. one reason is that you are an american and i was stupid i showed them my american passport instead of my french passport or my chilean passport they said would have been even better but at the time i didn't i was stupid i wasn't thinking i yeah. didn't it's the guy the council in khartoum told made it sound so easy yeah so i let my let down my guard i just like said okay here you go i should have like but maybe even if i had shown my chilean passport i still would have been turned down okay so two to go and so, oh, and then the other story was getting to the tallest mountain of Djibouti. The tallest mountain of Djibouti is about 2,000 meters. It's called Musa Ali, I think it's called. And it's on the summit, Patrick. You have three countries. Oh, yeah, that that's touch a problem. The summit. Yeah. I've cycled and the three to countries, La Casal and, and La Cave. Okay. It, but the tallest mountain... Musa Ali is it's right there shared with Ethiopia and Eritrea Djibouti and Eritrea yeah. and at just just off the summit all three nations have military yeah <laughs> so nobody actually is on the summit but all three are looking pointing their guns to the summit because <laughs> I guess it's like a neutral zone or something yes. like that um and so I was like oh fuck um, so I tried to go first from Djibouti side to get authorization. They, no, 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 you have to get letters from the Ministry of Defense. You have to, so I went to the Ministry of Defense. No, no, no. Anyway, long stories. And uh, in the end, I said no. So then I tried to go. I already tried the, I'd already tried from the Eritrean side. Of course, I told you that story. Yeah. And the third attempt was to go through the Ethiopian, um, Ethiopian side. And there I went there. I got through the military checkpoint. And they said, no problem, da, 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 da. And then and I met this guy. He says, yeah, I'll take you up there. And I was driving up to the top at night. I get to just a few kilometers from the summit, maybe like three kilometers or four kilometers from the summit. I can't remember exactly. But the point is, is that there was a military base. The road ended right there by this kind of base there. And I parked my car and the military came out and they said, what the fuck are you doing here? I'm like, well, I just want to climb the tallest mountain, right? I mean, not the tallest mountain, this mountain right here, which happened. It's not the tallest mountain of Ethiopia. Yeah, tall, yeah, yeah. Just, and so I said, and they said, okay, well, just go down the mountain again and get authorization from the, our commander. And I was like, well, can I just like sleep here overnight and then do that? And this is no, we really can't let you sleep at the, at this, this high point here. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I knew that if I was going to go back down the mountain, the military commander is not going to let me go. Yeah. And, but I had no choice because I thought to myself, if they let me sleep there, I can get up at like midnight and sneak up to the yeah. tallest point because I wasn't that far and then be back before sunrise uh -huh. and then say, okay, I'm ready to go back down the mountain now. I was like, but I, I couldn't pull that off. And then, and then they arrested me when I was down below. You're and they not held bribing them, them enough, I think. 
<sighs> That's possible. Um, yes. The short answer is yes, you're right. Um, every step of the way, whenever I encountered these difficulties in Africa, I certainly tried to resort to bribing. But in the end, you're always right because there's always a price. I obviously couldn't go high enough. If I offered them $10,000, I'm sure they would have said yes. So, so it's, it's so I, I, I definitely offered money always when I encounter difficulties okay. in Africa. Um, but, but whatever I'm offering is just, I guess, not enough to get them excited. So that's the problem. Oh, okay. And the last one was uh, uh, Tunisia. Which is a small mountain. It's I think only fourteen hundred meters. Yeah, one thousand four hundred meters. Um, again, the, it's in a national park. They had recently had some killings there going on by the whatever their terrorist group there. It's Al Qaeda in Maghreb, no? Something like that, but it's not that. They call it something else, like Dash. They call it Dash. Oh, ISIS. Dash. Yeah. Okay. Kind of something like that. Anyway, so no, those no, guys... No, no, Dash is like the name for ISIS. Thank you. Okay, yes. So that's what it is. Um, and so the military, once again, I went to them, said, hey, you, they have this pristine road. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful road. You can see it on Google Maps. It's this nice road right up to the summit. It's paved. It's, it's just so nice. I could just driven up to the top. And they drive up to the top often, mm -hmm. like every week. But they not go with up there. You. I was like, why don't I just go with you? Can I just go with you guys? Nope, nope. And I went to, I said, they said, of course, they'd love to do this trick. They say, go to the capital and then ask there. And they do that just to get rid of you. Yes. Because they know that in the capital, most likely, nobody's going to let you in. And that's exactly what. Yeah. So you're like, you, you, you try as much as you can locally because that's your best chance. And then when the locals say no, anyway. Yeah. I So. I can understand that problem. Yeah. So those are the four mountains that I never did climb. And I hope to one day, but I'm waiting for... Now, Sudan got even worse since I since then, mm -hmm. since I was there a couple of years ago. And uh, I think... But eventually all these places got... Eritrea had a bright spot recently. A what? A bright spot. Eritrea oh, yeah. is warmed up to Ethiopia, but but not completely yet. They just need a complete leadership change. From the summit, I'm from the top. Uh, anyway, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, so I know what you're going to be going through. Um, yes, mostly so in Africa. People, yeah, but I imagine there's Central uh, Asia is similar, but the rest yeah, is fine. Yeah, so tell me a little bit because so my big next big trip is to West and Central Asia. So basically, the Gulf states, Middle East, and uh, yeah, Central that's Asia. Fun. Yeah, so tell me about getting visas along the way because as you probably know patrick better than anybody is that there are certain countries that require you to get a visa from your home country yes ghana is one of those but none in central asia you can do all of those easily um, really on the right but what about was it i think it's called Turkmenistan. it's one of them is closed um it might be because you are american and i'm a european citizen so you should probably use your french passport um, but isn't it Turkmenistan? Am I right? Turkmenistan is the kind of the closed one, the one that's kind of like a. It is kind of closed. It depends. You can get easily a transit visa for three to five days. Really? Yes. Okay. Very well, easy. What at the border? No, no. It at was so easy. I went to an embassy and I applied, and they sent it to me by email. 
Like wow. there was no waiting time. I just went to the embassy, went uh, left and then cycled towards Turkmenistan. And after 10 days, I got the email with the visa and I went to the uh, border and they printed it out for me. Wow. Okay. So Turkmenistan is, is the most difficult of the bunch or maybe Saudi Arabia, I guess. Well, Saudi Arabia didn't have tourist visas till last year, I think. So Do they still have tourist visas in Saudi I Arabia? I have not been there yet, so I cannot tell you. Okay. okay. So um, Yemen, because of the civil war. Oman is mm. easy. Then all the Gulf states like Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, UAE, super easy. Um, mm -hmm. Iraq is easy if you go to Kurdistan. Iran, you might have a problem because Trumpity Trump and you know, the nuclear deal and nonsense like mm. this. Um, Armenia and Azerbaijan don't but, like but, each other. But sorry, for, so for Iran, what did you do? You just got it in the neighboring country, the visa? Mm, I did get the visa in Dushanbe. In Which is where? I have no idea where that is. the capital of Tajikistan. Okay, okay. So I came okay, so from you, China. Got it, okay. Usually most people do a stop in Istanbul for most of the visas. Like okay. You go to Istanbul, wait there, and you get the visa for Iran, Turkmenistan, and um, Uzbekistan. Then you okay, can just okay. go through. If you don't, the problem get with that is that is that the visas. Some of them they start upon issuance. Some of them do. Mm, yes, but they and also. So then it, it puts a time, and and they may not give you many days. You know, they might just give you a month or something. I don't think any of those in this area started from the date of issue. Okay, good. So you just tell them I'm going to be there in the month of September and then they say, okay, great. We'll make your visa valid for September. Yes. Okay, great. Wow. That's so much easier than Africa. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is much easier. Um, like Kazakhstan, I didn't need a visa at all. Um, Turkey, neither. And Georgia, Armenia were fine. Azerbaijan was e-visa. You can do online. Wow. So, yeah. That's so nice. Yeah, there's actually a couple of African countries that are doing e-visas. Cotova, yeah, the Ivory Coast. No, no, no. Also, Rwanda, uh, Z Zambia is doing it now. Um, okay. I can't remember. Can't remember. They're, they're, they're starting to get their act together, the Africans, with regard to visas. They're getting a little bit easier, slightly. Um, it's nice. Um, speaking about Africans, one of the challenges also for my trip is that I'm going to be traveling with Rejoice, who mm -hmm. is a Cameroonian still. And only has a Cameroon passport. So I, that could cause major problems. True. I have no idea how that works. Yeah, exactly. So we forget often how easy it is for people from high-income countries to get visas compared to these low-income countries. Yeah. It's just night and day. I really saw the difference when I was traveling with her in Africa. She and I went to 31 African countries together. Mm-hmm and getting visas and she was so pissed off because she's like i'm a fucking african why can't i visit other african countries you mr white man are from far away and yet you go into all these countries with these yeah and 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 they won't even let their sister to come into their own country uh into the, to the neighboring country or whatever so it's very sad and frustrating and i imagine it's gonna be even harder for you know places in the middle east there's a one advantage is that when you're married to somebody in a Muslim society, oftentimes in a conservative one, you're almost like property. So there's there's an advantage to that because, and this happened a lot in Africa for me, 
because they just said, okay, well, Francis gets in because he's got the right passport. And the wife and gets in because it's Francis's wife. The wife. Yeah. Exactly. And so even though we normally don't make it easy for Cameroonians to come in here, but because she's his wife, basically property, therefore, we're not going to stop that from happening. And so they're very, uh, and I think many, I, I'm going to guess that in many Muslim countries, there's probably a lot of that going on as well. Like you're not, you're not going to let the man in and not let his wife come in too. I imagine. I haven't I tried. Could, I, that's, yeah, I know. You need to get married for and try it out. <laughs> um, so, speaking of which, you're probably never going to get married, are you? Because there, uh, there's some people on this uh, listening to this who are going to be like, "Okay, I want to propose to Patrick." <laughs> I have no idea. I'm traveling <laughs> too this. much. It's very difficult to to meet people. That's true. Yeah, and then when even when you do meet uh, somebody who has that same wanderlust, they might not want to go at the same intensity as as your former girlfriend discovered. Yeah, or different areas, or yeah, not necessarily right. mountaineering or cycling, and yeah, yeah. You know, we've been talking for two hours, and I have really enjoyed this, and I know, I know, a hundred percent that we've just the surface <laughs> i mean we've Not practically i feel like i haven't talked about anything with you <laughs> yes we, we just it's made like, a summary and then got sidetracked a little bit <laughs> and then talked about game of thrones <laughs> just like, I mean, but there's so much more to like we can speak one hour about each brain. country and then speak like yeah. one, 24 hours for a week <laughs> We'll just create a brand new podcast called like the Patrick and Francis podcast. Yes. We're going to have 193 podcasts, <laughs> one hour on each country. <laughs> there you go. I will put myself Although, to sleep that way. Exactly. No, but the funny thing is that, uh, and, and you're going to have a lot more than an hour just to talk about Germany. Yes. I mean, even Bavaria is a foreign country now. People talk funny what? here. Oh, they talk funny. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you have the high German. Uh, German, whatever it's called. Yes, I do have um, the high German. The people that live here do not. <laughs> exactly. So they look at you as a colonizer. Yes, a Prussian, they call us. <laughs> it's not a joke. Like, that's what the Bavarians <laughs> call non-Bavarians. <laughs> I know um, we, we in the military base, we had um, Germans and Americans stationed there. And we always talked about the Americans and called them the Romans. Because they shouldn't <laughs> overhear us talking about the americans <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> well big pleasure talking with you uh, i would love to meet you face to face one time mm -hmm. and so i'm sure that with all our crazy travels i hope that we overlap and uh and then we can have another long conversation yeah thank you and that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember ftapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. 
And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.